quickly. Father, help us. Help us to pay attention. Help our minds to be focused. Pray that we would not be distracted. Father, I pray that you would work by your spirit. Enable us, not just to pay attention and to learn, but to be transformed and to be affected so that our lives might change and that our living would be different. For your glory, help us. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so this first message is going to be called The Power for Discipleship. The Power for Discipleship. We're going to look at four truths or four ways that we need the power for discipleship. What is the mission? That's the first thing we're going to look at. Number two, who's in on the mission? Number three, who's strength for the mission? And then lastly, how do we get in on that strength? Let's, let's do the first one. What is the mission? You're familiar with this text. It's not new. Let's go through it again. Matthew 28, 16 to 20, Jesus has died. He has been buried. He has risen from the grave. And he has now given a mission to his disciples. Now the 11 disciples, that would be minus Judas, went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me, given to him by his Father. Go therefore, since I have all authority given to me, delegated to me, here's what I want you to do. I want you to go. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, all ethnos, that would be all people groups all over the globe but also including your neighbors and those in your home. All nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Now, lest some of you think this was a commission only to the eleven, let me show you something real quick. The making of a disciple includes, at least in this context, two things. One, baptism, which is, yes, the act of being in water to show death with Jesus, union with Jesus in his death, burial, coming up out of the water, newness of life, Romans 6. But it's also an identification. So it's the physical act of baptism. Yes, we do that. But it's also, you're now identified with Jesus. Now you have a new father. Your, your old father was Satan. You're of your father, the devil, and you want to do his will, John 6, 44. Well, now no longer. Now you have a new father. You're identified by God himself as his child. Now you're identified by the son, Jesus. He's your big brother. Everything that's now true of him is now true of you. As he is righteous, you are righteous. As he has power, you now have power. As he is making peace through the blood that he shed, you now get to go and make peace by sharing that Jesus has shed his blood. What's true of Jesus is now true of you. And the Holy Spirit, you're identified with him such that now your life no longer depends on you. 
Now you have a new energy flowing through you. That's what tonight's going to be about. So that's the first thing. The first thing is baptizing. But secondly, it's this, teaching them to observe all that I commanded you. And the promise is, and behold, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. He will be with us by His Spirit. So how is that not just to the eleven? Because that seems to be what the context implies. Well, because as they teach them to observe, that's a disciple, as they teach them to observe all that Jesus commanded, included in the all that I've commanded is the command to go and make disciples. So it's a process that never ends. If you're making a disciple, you're teaching them to obey all that he commanded, but go and make disciples is a command that you have to also teach. So you're not making a disciple if you're not teaching that person how to make disciples. So this can continue to go on until Jesus returns. So if the 11 do what Jesus is here telling them, it will flow to us eventually. Because teaching them to observe all I commanded means you need to be making disciples who can make disciples. It's included in the all that I've commanded. Make sense? That's why it's not just the 11 who have this mission. It's flowed now to us and now we need to pass it on to others. That's our mission. So this is the commission to all Christians. Mark Dever, a famous Baptist scholar and and in my opinion, the best ecclesiologist alive. He said this, I don't understand what you mean when you say you're a Christian and yet you're not making disciples. How does that even work? And and what Mark Dever is saying there is, if you're not making disciples, are you even a Christian? Now that's bold language, not to say that the making of disciples makes you a Christian. It's just to say this is to be so characterized of Christians that it's weird that you would call yourself a Christian and you're not making disciples. Okay, so what is the mission? The mission is make disciples. It's pretty simple, isn't it? Aren't you glad it's simple? But listen, the teaching them to observe all I've commanded is not simple. It's a lifelong process of painstaking labor and prayer and bearing with one another's burdens and teaching and doing. And it takes your whole life. And it will not be done when you are put to rest and enter into glory. It will continue to go on and on and on. Yet, thankfully, the command is simple. Go and make disciples. And so, in two ways, we need to seek disciples. That would be people who are unregenerate, unborn again, not Christians. And we need to seek disciples. We need to go find people that will become disciples of Jesus. That's called evangelism. But then secondly, the people who are Christians, we need to make sure we're about discipling people. And listen, we're not discipling people of us. We're making disciples of Christ. So, if... If you're a disciple of Chris Moran, that's bad. I need to make disciples of Jesus, not of me. Okay, I'm not the Savior. In fact, I can do nothing for you. I can only point you to the Savior. And so when we make disciples, who are we, who are we making disciples of? That's right, Jesus. So we're to make disciples of Jesus. And the promise is, listen, I am with you. I'm not giving you a task and then stepping back to see how you'll do, I'm going to go with you as you go. And remember, as you go, that I have the authority and I am with you. That's like guaranteed success. 
Does that mean every person we evangelize, every person we seek to make a disciple will become a disciple? No, it doesn't mean that. But what it means is the promise is when we go, He will be with us. We have that promise in the Scriptures. Okay, let's go to the next question. Who is in on the mission? Who is in on the mission? Ephesians chapter 3, 7 to 16. Again, not a new text. I'm going to fly through it. But grace was given to each one of us. Grace is gift. So a gift was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Christ has given us himself and himself living perfectly according to the law and then given himself on the cross in our place and has given himself in resurrection and our union with him makes everything true of him, true of us. But listen, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives and gave gifts to men. Back in this culture, when a king would take over another um, culture or another uh, nation, he would take the spoils of war and he would divide them out and gift his people. And so as Jesus leads a host of captives, the, the idea is he's capturing people. He gives gifts to men. Aren't you glad that Jesus is conquering people? I'm one of the conquered. I mean, this is a good thing that Jesus comes and conquers because your fist is in his face and you're a rebel and you're against him. And he says, I'll conquer you, but not by crushing you, but rather by being crushed. It's fantastic. He crushes us with sacrifice. He crushes us with his love and he draws us to himself. The kindness of God leads us to repentance. Romans chapter two. And so he conquers us. But then not only does he conquer us, he gives gifts. What are the gifts? In saying he ascended, what does it mean but that he also descended into the lower regions of the earth? This points to as he went back to heaven, we'll look at that in Acts chapter 1 in a minute, that means he also had to come down from heaven to live among us. God become man, the incarnation. Verse 10, he who descended is the one who also ascended far above the heavens. That would be, in some mysterious way, the atmosphere and then space. In some way. Now, now don't, don't go literal and say, at the very edge of the universe, wherever that is, there he is, and that's heaven. It could, you know, Einstein had said something like, it could be a whole other dimension. Like, we're, it's just so mysterious. We have no idea where heaven is. Some theologians think it's right here, and we just don't have eyes to see it. It's among us. It's here now, and we, our eyes are just blind to it. It's in a range our eyes can't pick up. The frequency is not what our ears can pick up, though it's right here. And if like Elijah, with his servant Elisha, if God would just but open our eyes, boom, we would see. Oh my goodness. We would see spiritual realities. It's possible. So this is saying far above the heavens, that he might fill all things. Now the all things literally means all things. His power, His presence, His rule, His reign is filling all things. So it's a mistake, listen, to say, it's a mistake to say, God is here with us. No, we are here with God. No, we're in His presence. It's not like, oh, God is here. No, 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 no. Everywhere you go, you're with Him. Okay. That he might fill all things. Verse 11, and he gave. Now this is the gifts, right? So he gave gifts to men. What are the gifts? Verse 11, and he gave the apostles, prophets, evangelists, shepherds, teachers, 
to, here's what they're for, to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ. So, apest, that's how you can remember it, apostles, prophets, evangelists, shepherds, and teachers. These are the gifts that God has given to his body, the church. The apostles would be the sent ones, like missionaries, an apostolic gift to go and to deliver the message to places, to start new works. Missionaries, church planners, prophets, those who hear from God in a unique way and they tell His Word prophetically, timely, with power and authority. Evangelists, those who hunger and thirst to tell the Gospel. It it gives them joy. They wake up in the morning motivated to say, who can I tell the Gospel to today? Evangelists. Shepherds, that is the only place in the New Testament that is sometimes translated pastors. What do pastors do? They shepherd. So, pastors, shepherds, and teachers. And as I've said before in here, listen, you can be a pastor and a teacher, but there are people who are teachers who are certainly not pastors. Because you can be taught, but not shepherded. You feel like you got a a bat to the head. You're like, that wasn't very shepherding. That was more like a bat to the head. But yet you learned something. Okay, so I think there's a distinction there. Some would like to say they're, they're shepherd teachers, pastor teachers. That's okay. But I think they're separate because all pastors have to be teachers, but I don't think all teachers are necessarily pastors. What are they for? Well, they equip the saints for the work of ministry. So the question here was, who's in on the mission? The saints. To equip... So the pastors and the teachers and the the starters of new works and those who speak for God prophetically, those who evangelize, they're not the ministry people, if you will. They're the equippers. They're to equip the saints. Who's a saint? Anybody who's in Christ. Listen, friends, this is your mission. Yeah, it's my mission, but it's your mission. Do you see that? To equip the saints for the work of ministry. If you're a Christian, you're a saint. That doesn't mean St. Augustine and St. Nicholas and St. Patrick. You are a saint if you're in Christ. You are the minister. So it's been said like this, Jeff Vanderstelt, really helpful. He says, it's not that there's a few who minister to the many, me and Eddie. Rather, there's a few who equip the many for ministry. We don't have these, but it's not a ministry of the few. It's a ministry of the pew. Imagine pews. But, but we think opposite. We're like, you're here to minister to me. That's why you exist. No, I exist, according to this passage, to equip you to do the ministry. So in a sense, I'm, I'm on the bench saying, make this play, make this play. Here, I'll train you how to do better. And you're on the field. Now, I'm, I'm like a player coach, so I'm in playing with you. Like, I, I just told you the story of my neighbor who I got the, the fantastic opportunity to, to witness to last week. So I'm playing the game too, but listen, my job is not to play the game in your place. And you sit there and watch me play and go, go, Chris. It's not how this works. If this verse is true, and I tend to believe it, then I exist to equip you for ministry. And so does Eddie. And so do anybody who has these gifts, apostle, prophet, evangelist, shepherds, teachers, to equip the saints for the work of ministry. For what? For the building up of the body of Christ. What is the body of Christ? The church. 
This is a local expression of the body of Christ, individually members of it. Until, so we equip until what? The saints work for the building of the body. Until what? Until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood. Say womanhood. You're grown up. You're mature. To the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. That is where we're headed, friends. Romans 8, 29. We've been predestined to be conformed to His image. And listen, we always think that it's, the, it's God doing that work. Yes, it is, but He's doing it through us. Yes, it is the Holy Spirit's job to conform us to the image of Christ, but the Holy Spirit moves through you and me. He doesn't just zap us. Oh, more like Jesus all of a sudden. It doesn't work like that. He uses His people to bring about maturity. Are you in the game? Or are you watching? Are you like, don't you love sports shows like, like the radio guys? They just comment, comment, comment. Well, he should have did this, he shouldn't have did that. Yet, they couldn't even run a quarter mile without passing out. Right? Like, get in the game and now talk smack. Okay? We can't have that in Christianity, guys. If you're a Christian, you're a disciple maker. Get it in your head. I love you. Okay, are you in the game? Do you want to get in the game? Are you itching? Have you been training? This is training. Okay, let's keep going. So that, here's, the, here's what will come of it. So that, this is the purpose. So that we may no longer be children. That's the opposite of the, the, the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. That's, we're still little, we're still young. What happens when we're little and young and children and immature? We get tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine. It means you're not solid in your thinking biblically. You're biblically illiterate and, and anyone can deceive you. There are many false prophets out there. Didn't we talk about that last week? And they want to devour sheep. And children are often getting devoured. We need to grow up. It's time. So that we are not getting devoured by false prophets. So when we grow and we are no longer children, we will not be tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. That's a real thing. There are people who use the Bible and use the name of Jesus and use the quote-unquote Holy Spirit to devour people and to take from and to gain for themselves and they're headed for destruction. The hottest of hell, if you will. Because they're using God's name to devour his sheep. I can't imagine what is in store for them. It will be terrible. But we need to be discerning Christians. And how will that happen? Well, rather, this is what we do. Speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ. There's that being transformed into his image. From whom, now it's from the head, from Christ, from whom the whole body is joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped. Now listen to this. You listening? Put your hand up if you're listening. Okay, we're all listening. When each part is working properly, you're one of those parts. If you're not working properly, guess what's not going to happen? We're not going to be equipped. But when each part is working properly, 
it makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. That's awesome. So it's not necessarily my job to build the church up. It's yours. When you are doing this work that you're being commissioned here in Ephesians chapter 3, the body will build itself up. But listen, when we're not doing our part, it's not going to grow. So listen, we cannot have, if there's 70 of us, 60 of us, 50 of us, 40 of us, we can't have five of us on mission. It's not going to work. We all need to be in. No spectators. You with me? I mean, don't you want to play the game? Do you want to just watch? Do you want to just observe? I don't. I don't. All right, let's move quickly. So Porterbrook, as you know, we, we uh, have been doing the Porterbrook thing. It's, it's seminary level, but yet it's street level. It's local church level. It's culturally relevant. Um, has been acquired by Acts 29. They are now, they own it and they promote it and it's all within our network. Now, what I'm about to read from you is from the Holy Spirit course that myself and Jackie and Vince, we just went and did the, uh, the roundup. Uh, in Gibsonia yesterday, the, the kind of overview three-hour course. It was awesome. We had a great time. So this is from the Holy Spirit course. Listen, the missional church, that's a church on mission. What's a church on mission? We're all making disciples who make disciples. It's that simple. We're obeying Jesus' command. The missional church is not a church with a mission. All churches have a mission. Listen closely. This is gold. All churches have a mission, stated or unstated. All churches practice some kind of mission. It may be to keep the immoral out, to keep sound doctrine in, to pray for revival, or to send missionaries to the nations. Each of these churches is an example of church with a mission. The missional church, however, is a church as mission not with a mission but as mission as mission the missional church however is church as mission in the words of Daryl Guder the challenge is to move from a church with a mission to a missional church in light of this important distinction it is critical that we understand the difference between church with a mission versus church as mission. Now, to clarify, they made this chart. I transferred it into a chart that you can now see. You ready? So this is what church with a mission would look like, and this is what church as a mission would look like. What you do, that's a task. Church as mission, it's who you are. It's an identity. I am the mission of God, if you will. The church is the mission of God. It's not that we have a task to get done. If it's church with a mission, it's optional. Yeah, I could join in on that or not. It's an option. I don't feel like it. But if it's church as mission, it's essential. It's the core of what we're about. That's why it is our number one core committed commitment is to make disciples who make disciples. It's not by accident. Extraordinary or elitist, like only the, the, the premier gifted people are on mission. But in church as mission, the ordinary, the everyone, everyone is in on this, which is exactly what Ephesians 3 just said. Project focus, events, 
How many of you have been in event-driven churches? Like event, 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 event. That's mission. Okay, the event's over. Off mission. Whew, that was awesome. People-focused, disciple. In this style of church as mission, it's never done. You're on mission at home. Like, it's not like, oh, take off my shoes, kick up my feet, mission's done for the day. Praise the Lord. No, home is mission. Conversation with wife is mission. Conversation with husband is mission. Correcting the children is mission. Cooking food is mission. Now, now that sounds exhausting, and it would be if not for where we're going next. It would be if not for where we're going next. Porterbrook Holy Spirit course continues. Missional church requires nothing less than a rethinking of our identity and our practice of who we are and what we do as Christians. Therefore, in order to effectively embrace the challenge of moving from a church with a mission to a church as mission, new structures are necessary. Many existing church structures support a mission as a task, but not as an identity. They promote mission as an event, but not as a way of life, reducing mission to an option for the elite and not essential for everyone. That will not be us. You're either on mission or you're not, but if you're not, you're not being obedient to Jesus' command. And that's just the way it is. I love you, but let's go. Let's get on mission, guys. And that's what this series is about. We want to train you to do this. Because some of you are like, I've never been here before. And that's true for a couple of you tonight. You've never actually been here before. I apologize. But for some of you, you've never embarked on the mission before. And you're like, I don't know what to do. I'm afraid to even open that door. That's frightening. We're going to help you. We're going to equip you. We're going to walk with you. And listen, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Here's Spurgeon. You will not find a Christian who does not have to mourn over his self-righteous tendencies. You will not discover a believer who has not, at certain periods in his life, had to groan because of the spirit of self-confidence. Self-confidence has risen in his heart and prevented him from feeling the absolute necessity of the Holy Spirit. So this, this Spurgeon quote will lead us right into who's strength for the mission. The absolute necessity of the Holy Spirit. So who's strength for the mission? Not yours. If you, so, so here's the training for tonight, if you will. If you are relying on your strength to make disciples who make disciples, you will be tired, burnt out, exhausted, discouraged, not wanting to take another step. I guarantee it. I've been there. There's always more, 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 and there's not enough energy or resources or time to get it done. Well, that's because you're doing it in your own strength. And there's other factors in there, but certainly that is the case. So this next passage will help us. So this is Jesus about to ascend. In fact, this is the account of the ascension. So when they, that's the disciples, had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? They're still thinking uh, Jesus is going to take over 2,000 years ago. He said to them, it is not for you to know the times or seasons that the Father is fixed by his own authority, but, now here it is, guys, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit 
has come upon you. When the Holy Spirit comes upon you, listen, what's the result? And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, that's home, and Judea, that's a little outside of home, and Samaria, that's further outside of home, and to the ends of the earth, the nations. That's what will happen when the Holy Spirit shows up. You're going to witness, and you're going to be a witness for Christ with power. And when he had said these things, as they were looking it on, he was lifted up, and a cloud took him. Now, what I find amazing is he literally told them to wait. Wait until the Holy Spirit comes. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And you will be my witnesses. So he doesn't say, I'm risen. I'm ready to go. Now go. He says, wait. Wait for the Holy Spirit and power. And you know, 50 days uh, after the resurrection, Pentecost, he comes. And I'm not going to read Acts chapter 2, but we are going to jump to Acts chapter 4 real quick. So this is Peter and John. They had healed a crippled man outside the temple, and it's a notable miracle, and a, a, a rowdy uproar is happening, and the Sanhedrin comes in, and they grab Peter and John, and, and they're released and told not to speak anymore in this name, not to heal anymore in this name. Stop doing ministry. Stop making disciples. Quiet. Trying to silence and you remember, is it right for us to listen to God or to man? You judge. And so they, they gather back with the disciples and they pray. Listen to this. When they were released, they went to their friends and reported what the chief priests and the elders had said to them. And when they heard it, they lifted their voices together to God and said, Sovereign Lord, that's you're in control of all things, who made the heavens and the earth and the sea and everything in them. You're the creator. Who, through the mouth of our father David, your servant, said by the Holy Spirit, this is Psalm chapter 2, Why did the Gentiles rage, and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves, and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and his anointed. Speaking of Jesus being mobbed by the Romans and put on a cross. For truly in this city there were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the peoples of Israel, to do, this is amazing, whatever your hand and plan had predestined to take place. It was all in the plan. So here we have, real quickly, this is not the point, but this is like a, a parenthesis. I think it's important to point this out. There is in God's mystery and majesty... Human freedom and human agency and human will making decisions. You have Herod, you have Pontius Pilate, you have the Gentiles coming against Jesus. Yet at the same time, it was the exact thing that God had planned, predetermined to take place. Yet they did exactly what they wanted. Both human freedom and God's sovereignty somehow mysteriously working together. They're responsible, yet God is in control. But that's not the point. While you, okay, and now, Lord, so now, Lord, look upon their threats and grant your servants to heal. And signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. I'm sorry, I skipped, I skipped a piece. And now, Lord, upon, look upon their threats and grant to your servants this, to continue to speak your word with all boldness. When the Holy Spirit comes upon us, listen, we will speak the word 
the gospel, teaching them to obey all he's commanded with all boldness. Now listen, boldness does not mean arrogance or offensiveness or I'm right, you're wrongness. It doesn't mean that. We often think that's what it means to be bold. We think steamroller. We think bat to the face. We think punching bag. It, that's, it means I'm afraid, but I'm going to talk anyway. Bold. With gentleness and respect. To speak with boldness. That's what will happen when the Holy Spirit comes. You'll speak with boldness while, and this is what God would do through them and did do through them, while you stretch out your hand to heal and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant Jesus. And when they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and continued, notice, they're filled with the Holy Spirit. What's the result? They continued to speak the word of God with boldness. What you're going to see is a continual, when there's, a, when there's the Holy Spirit moving through a person in power, there's speech, there's witnessing, there's telling of the gospel, there's a, a speaking of His Word with boldness. Listen, it's awkward, but boldness will step over the awkward line. You're like, they may never talk to me again. Boldness. Holy Spirit. This is it. You may never talk to me again. But you know what? Every time I've thought that and I've been challenged like that in my mind, it's not happened. They're always like, man, I appreciate that. Like, can I get your email or can I get your website? Or It always goes different than how I imagine it going. I'm thinking they're going to try to fight me or they're going to call their friends over and throw me down into a pit and start kicking me. Rather, they're like, well, thank you. Like, I'd like to hear more on that. And I'm like, oh, that's awesome. Why do we always imagine the worst? Could it be satanic? Could be. Could it be your fear of the uncomfortable? Probably. Maybe you don't feel equipped. Here we are. Ray Ortland Jr., uh, a pastor in our network, super helpful to me, he said this, the flesh can feel more helpful and more promising than the spirit. So Galatians 5 says, walk by the Spirit, Holy Spirit, and you will not carry out the desires of the flesh or the sinful nature. But sometimes, guys, the flesh feels powerful. Like it can accomplish much. We can do this. We get hyped, we get rowdy, and we're like, we can do this. Let's go and do this. And it's in the flesh, and there's no fruit. And the flesh feels more helpful because we're in control of the flesh but we don't get to control the power of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is like wind, isn't he? In fact, Jesus to Nicodemus, the great Jewish scholar, the teacher of Israel, he said, you know, being born again is like wind. You don't know where it's coming from or where it's going, and so it is with everyone born of the Spirit. And you know the Greek word for spirit is wind. It's the wind of God. And the idea is, guys, we need to be praying for the power of God through His Spirit, just like a sailboat. Maybe you've heard this analogy. We, we open the sail, and we wait for the Holy Spirit to hit the wind, to hit the sail. And boom, now the boat's moving. But listen, all of us could get out of the boat, get behind it, and start swimming our hardest and pushing it. And it'll move very slowly, with much effort, and we will be exhausted and go nowhere. That's much of church. 
We're all trying to get it done in our own strength and it's hard to do and we're exhausted and we're not getting anywhere. You know why? Because we're not relying on the power of the Holy Spirit. We're doing it in our own strength, in our own power, and it feels good because we're doing it. Am I right or wrong? We need the Holy Spirit, guys. So think of a windmill, right? A windmill generates power. There's, there's great power that comes from a windmill, but what do you need for a windmill to work? Wind. In the same way, imagine yourself as a windmill. You can generate a lot of discipleship power, but you need the wind of God to blow on you. You need the Holy Spirit. I need desperately the Holy Spirit. Jesus said, John 15, without me, you can do nothing. Yet he promised at the end of the Great Commission, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Ray Orland continues, authentic, biblical, apostolic Christianity is pervasively miraculous. And by that, he doesn't mean limbs growing back and the dead being raised. He means this. It is God entering in. The living God being real to you. God entering into your soul. God entering into your day. God entering into the deepest you that you are. That's miraculous. It's nothing of the natural world. It's God moving in and moving into you with power. That's miraculous. Ray pointed me to a fantastic Francis Schaeffer quote. You like Francis Schaeffer? brilliant apologist, he said this, the central, the central problem with our age is, what would you say? Terrorism? Trump? What would you say? Peace and prosperity. Anyone else want to throw something out? What's the central problem of our age? McDonald's. Yeah, Amen. Huh? True, be true to yourself. Well, here's what Francis Schaeffer says. The central problem of our age is the church of the Lord Jesus Christ, individually or corporately, tending to do the Lord's work and the power of the flesh rather than the power of the Spirit. It's us trying to get it done with our strength. We're doing good things. Yeah, you are doing good things. And you're not getting anywhere, are you? <laughs> That's a powerful quote. So, how do we get the strength? And we're done. Colossians 1, 28-29, Paul says, Him we proclaim, Jesus we proclaim, warning everyone, teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. That's discipleship. Did you hear it? Listen again. Him we proclaim, Jesus, capital H, warning everyone, teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ to the fullness of the stature of Christ, conformed to the image of Christ. That's the goal of discipleship. But listen, for this I toil. So it's work. Toil is work, right? Correct? But listen, struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works within me. Discipleship, toil and work, but listen, with his energy that he works within me. 
Do you see the difference? Friends, we could blow it up without the Holy Spirit and we're not going to get anywhere. We could put all our efforts, all our energy, all our resources into this discipleship thing and if it's just us, we're going nowhere. We're pushing the car when there's an engine that we could turn the key and go. Again, Paul says to the Corinthians, 1 Corinthians 15, 9-11, For I am the least of the apostles, unworthy to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, that's a gift, I am what I am. Listen to this. And His grace towards me was not in vain. On the contrary, listen to this. I worked harder. Sounds like toil. I worked harder than any of them. That's a bold statement. I, you, know, you know that Peter guy? I worked harder than him. You know that John and James, those two fishermen brothers? I worked harder than them. Wow, isn't that arrogant, Paul? No, because of what he says next. I worked harder than all of them, though not I. Not I, but the grace of God that is with me. He said, yeah, I worked, and I worked hard, but not me. It was the grace with me. It was the Holy Spirit working through Paul. Whether then it was I or they, the apostles, so we preached, and so you believed. But did you see the point? There is work to be done. There is toil to engage in. But listen, we can't do it with our own strength. We can't. John 16, 4-7, Jesus speaking to his disciples, he says, I did not say these things to you from the beginning because I was with you. But now, listen, I am going to him who sent me, the Father. And none of you asks me, where are you going? But because I have said these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. Listen to this. This is crazy. It is to your advantage that I go away. Hmm? It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the Helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. I mean, that's incredible. So you're telling me if Jesus was our pastor, it would not be as good as if this guy was the pastor... And he sent the Holy Spirit. Are you kidding me? That's what he just said. It's better if I go away. Why? Because I'll send the helper, the Holy Spirit. That's hard to believe, isn't it? Like some of us are going, I don't know. I think Jesus would do a better job than you. <laughs> and he would. But listen, his power is in us. And the Spirit is the Spirit of Jesus. Do you realize that? And now, listen, it's not just Jesus full of the Holy Spirit. It's a whole people full of the Holy Spirit. Greater works can get done now because there's so many more. It's not just Jesus full of the Holy Spirit. Now there's an army full of the Holy Spirit spanning the globe. Jesus was localized in one place. He could only travel so many miles. But now here we are in every continent, traveling to every people group in every language, toiling, working, prayerfully, not by our own strength. 
For what? To make disciples who make disciples. So let's end here. I want to emphasize in light of communion, Jesus says, I am going to him who sent me. And we know how he went, don't we? He went, not just by saying, see you guys, up in the cloud. Rather, he went to prepare a place for us, didn't he? And you could take that in two senses. He went to prepare a place in the sense that he went to prepare a way to that place. The cross. The cross opened the gates of heaven. Because sinful people cannot enter into God's presence. Sinful people cannot have the Holy, Holy Spirit living in them because they're wicked and foul and sinful. But Jesus, living perfectly in our place, going to the cross, I am going to Him who sent me. He went to the cross, paid for our sins so that there could be justice. He could be just and the justifier of those who have faith. And then He was buried and risen from the grave, and then he ascended. So the way to the Father was the way to the cross. The way to the Father was the way of death and burial. But by the power of the Spirit, he was raised. And listen, we share in that. We share in that death. We share in that union. His punishment on the cross was our sins. His burial was united to us as we died. And as I've said before, it's helpful to say again. Listen, when Jesus unites to us, it purifies us, cleanses us, makes us righteous. When we get united to him, he suffers the wrath of God. He dies. He pays. Jesus paid a great price to be united to you and I. And thankfully he did. He went to prepare a place for us. And now he is in heaven preparing the new Jerusalem and it will come to cleanse the entire earth and universe. And we can't wait. But listen, will you work till that day? Will you work for his glory? Will you work for the good of the people who are in your immediate context? Will you seek disciples and then people who are already professing faith in Jesus, will you help them to become obedient to everything Jesus commanded? If you will, let's do it together. Let's not be individualistic Christian heroes. Let's do it together. Like we're a body. And when each part is doing its part, the body will grow. Let's celebrate what Jesus has done for us. And let's pray. Let's pray that we would do our part. So next week will be part two of the Holy Spirit. I'm not going to leave the Holy Spirit. But I wanted to take this first two weeks and say, if we don't get this right... We're going to be working hard and we're going to be in the flesh and we're not going to get anything done. And we're going to be exhausted and tired and wanting to quit. I'm going to another church. But with the power of the Holy Spirit, man, we can, by the power of the Holy Spirit, make disciples who make disciples. Seeking first His kingdom and His righteousness.